Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Uh, once again, I push a couple of episodes down. I have this, this episode with Team Cyanosis. Everybody wanted to know about how they navigated in Paraguay. So uh, that's how it started out. But um, we had a nice little chat. And you know, they're going to come to Cowboy Tough, it looks like. So yay, overseas teams. So, in other news, it's not totally official and has nothing to do with adventure racing, but it looks like I will be going to the Baja 1000 in Mexico in November um, with the uh, top 20 team to do their media, um, whatever it is, that thing that I do. Who knows what it is, but um, kind of fun. It's always something I was interested in doing and like to do. And since we have no world championships in November this year, it looks like it will will work out. So we'll have some more details about that. Also, it uh, looks like maybe I'll have a little company next month to come to the Black Hills to play, which will be fun. Mm, it's been uh, nice here. Maybe going to get a little rain now, but it sort of looks like spring is coming. Anybody, this is a long ways off and I don't have much information, but if you like open water swimming, there will be a two and a half mile open water swim in Pactola, which is about, as the crow flies, one mile from our house. But um, should be kind of a cool event, first time. But um, uh, I know I know Eric likes to swim a lot. I don't know if you want to make the whole trip up here for... A swim, but if you want to make a weekend out of it, uh, or anybody, we can sure uh, help you with that. Have a place, minimally you can hang a hammock, maybe even let you have a little floor space. So that's um, not much more to talk about. Um, we will have one more. Oh, let's see, I better think of this. Um... One more book to give away, Mark Latanzi's Squiggly Lines. And the question this week will be, let's make it an easy one. What are the names of my two sometimes co-hosts that can be little brats, so to speak, but usually are pretty good? So first person that answers that on the TA1 Facebook page will get a copy of Mark Latanzi's book, Squiggly Lines. And uh, if none of you get it, and you should, I'm giving it to my friends Dave and Mary who are moving out to the Black Hills because then they will uh, can learn a little more about navigation and not wonder or not know then they will know how lost I get them all the time. So go fast, take chances, thanks for listening, and let's go break bad. Is that bad? Okay. I had to get the echo out of my head. <laughs> and, and is, it, is, is the communication all right? Yeah, it sounds good. Um, pe- cool. People that listen to the podcast know that there's a. I have to put one setting on, and if I don't, I get my voice in my head like – Yes. A half a second later, and it's okay. not pretty. <laughs> okay. ah, fair enough. So, yep, sounds good. I, uh, cool. It just amazes me. You guys are like, I don't know, 9,000 miles away, and it's like you're across the street. So. And it's and the quality is so good, hey? Yeah. No, actually, it's really good. So um, I love it. So why don't uh, each of you introduce yourselves so we know who we're talking to? Okay. Um I'll start start with me and then uh, move on to Nick. Yeah. So uh, Clinton McIntosh from uh, Sinosis Adventure Racing. And I'm Nicholas Mulder, also the navigator for Team Sinosis. So, and and you're the one everybody wants to talk to. 
<laughs> so, well, let's 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 talk about your race, and then we'll get into who you guys are and stuff. Because watching the dots right. and stuff, everybody was just amazed that you're navigating. Uh, yes, we had a fairly good run uh, in terms of we had very few problems with the navigation during the race. Um, I mean, there was time loss out there that. Uh, isn't so obvious from the dot tracking. Um, I've gone back and looked at it and seen what it looked like on the uh, on the tracking uh, screens and so on. Um, but the, uh, we did we did make mistakes out there. I just think it was um, we did manage to maintain and, and con- contain the big any potential big mistakes. I think which was the big difference. I, I think um, Randy in the beginning of the the race when we got onto that paddling section, I think. From a, a heat perspective, I mean, one of the biggest talking points for the race was the the heat, mm. uh, 35 degrees and close to 85, 90% humidity. And um, when we got onto the paddling leg, we, we got into a good rhythm, good paddling. Um, as a team, we worked pretty well. Um, and then we turned around and we saw there was no other teams chasing us on the paddle. And we actually expected... Uh, at least Columbia uh, Vita Ray to to stay with us on the paddle, and we were quite surprised that we managed to put in a, a bit of gap, even getting to the first checkpoint. Um, that that was a big surprise to us. Yeah. Well, and was that? I mean, you weren't really pushing to do that, and it just happened, or you just just a good rhythm, right? It, it definitely did happen. Um, we weren't expecting to be out on our own, and we de- and we definitely weren't even pushing hard or um, on the first paddle leg. So. It was a surprise when we got off the water with such a big lead. Do you, when that happens, do you kind of turn to each other and go like, oh, "We either really screwed up something, or we're on a really <laughs> good day." <laughs> well, we, uh, the first, I mean, I turned around to Susan. Um, Susan and I were paddling together, and I said, "You know, where are these guys?" Um, this was at the one kilometer mark. Yeah, we this one, is one k into the paddle. Yeah. We're starting to get nervous. Are we yeah. going too hard? Are we pushing too hard? So the immediate thought would be uh, that crossed our minds is perhaps the 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 rest of the field feel that uh, we're pushing too hard on the paddle and that uh, we'll blow by the end of the fifty five kilometer paddle. But I mean, we were pretty comfortable with uh, the amount of effort we were putting in, and I think that was the start of the uh, the race for us. It, it set a good tone. For the race yeah it's got to give you well i think to me it would be two things yeah you got to worry you're going too fast but it's also like hey we're doing really good so let's just stay where we're at right yeah yeah 100 it's definitely a confidence booster and when you when you're out in the lead um and especially when you've got a small little gap it, it you feel like you 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 can afford to make it you're not as nervous because you feel like if you make this small minute mistake it's not like the next team's immediately going to be there behind you mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what was the the terrain like and the navigation on that first trek? What what did you have to work with? Uh, the first trek was in the we started in the late afternoon, so the heat was uh, oh, it was terrible. Um, so the so I mean, as as Mac just mentioned, the the whole way wasn't just about the navigation; it was actually about strategy in terms of pacing the team to make certain that at no stage. Were we anywhere near close to going into a, into a heat stroke type type of situation? Um, so even on the first trekking leg, we were going at a steady walking pace, um, just trying to keep it constant so that we weren't stopping too long at any one point. But we we still had to stop for water and so on. But um, we just kept moving in in a direction, in the hopefully in the correct direction at all at all times. So the the as I mean we got off the water um, and anywhere near the water it was always dense jungle forest um, and dense bush and as we moved away we were still on a floodplain which um, was a bit more in Africa you'd call it savanna but I suppose it was semi marsh mm. it was quite wet um, in places um, but and, and quite bushy but um, the uh, lots of uh, of um, the palm trees growing up all around you and then some thorny bush in between all the palm trees. So keeping a straight line because from the one checkpoint to the other across this flat plain, we actually had to go on a bearing. So keeping a straight line was always a bit of a challenge, um, but um, it was made easier in that we did it in the daylight. So, Well, uh, um, yeah, obviously that's a big, big help in the daylight. How do you... 
I mean, what's the nuts and bolts for you guys to actually keep a bearing in that kind of terrain? I mean, do you, um, do you just take it and then just walk it, and or do you have to yeah, pretty much, um, work all we, together? Uh, uh, Oops, are you there? Actually, just, um, I mean, it's too far to the right, so you spend the next kilometer sort of like favoring the other side so that you come back into the original line that you thought, thought you were on. Okay, hang on a second. You, you know what? We got to go, go back a little bit because you cut out cut out right, as, yeah. right after I asked you how you did it. <laughs> People would be pissed uh -huh. not to hear the answer. <laughs> well, um, essentially, uh, I mean, on, we, we were using our compass for a fair, a fair amount of the time mm. um, when going on a bearing, um, but the bush is was quite thick and there were denser areas and and less dense areas of undergrowth so you got you got pushed to the one side or the other side every now and again and um, it, we were after a while you you sort of got the impression if you were too far left or too far right so you, we then started favoring the other side to sort of correct it to make certain that on the whole we were still roughly going in the right direction um particularly between checkpoints 3 and 4 yeah. Does that... there, were, there wasn't many paths um, out there, so you know if you do pick up a footpath, or it's not even a footpath, a cattle path or something like that, is you'd follow it as best as you can, and, and if it's not the line that you're looking for, then you just you're off the cattle path and into the bush. Um, and and the bushes, it's thick. What we call bushes, thicket in Savannah, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and and you just that's that's your line. Yeah. There's no choice. Just follow your line. Is is that where the, uh, for lack of a better term, the art of navigation comes in, just that feeling that you're going too far right or too far left? Uh, I, th I think it comes down a bit to experience. Um, also picking up on other subtle little clues. We knew we had a river a few kilometers or a small river a few kilometers off to our one side, um, our left-hand side as we're crossing this. And as we're approaching the checkpoint, and we knew we should be approaching just based on, on time, walking time and so on, uh, we've, we got the odd feeling that we were maybe a bit too far to the left because the the, the vegetation alongside the river felt a bit too close. So we, we aimed off a bit right, and we actually walked pretty much straight into the checkpoint after we made that final correction going into checkpoint four. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, all, do, you, do you all give yourself a fist bump when you do that? <laughs> Get a nice uh, successful uh, bearing uh, like that? No, it's, uh, I have to be honest. Uh, Nick and I have been racing together for, I think, about close to 14 years already. And, uh, no, we don't fist bump each other. It's <laughs> my expectation uh, that Nick... I, I, don't, you know, I don't mind Nick. I don't mind following Nick as long as he puts me in the right direction. I don't think the rest of the team realise sometimes when things actually go right. <laughs> so and you can feel pretty stoked that they they go right, and the, the rest of the team doesn't quite understand. Yeah. <laughs> less, the less we know, the better it is. Yeah. So, so does how much? You obviously must like the the pressure finger air quotes of of navigating. Do you ever just like turn around and give somebody else a map and say, "I'm tired. You do it for a while." Uh, yes, yes, occasionally we do, and I was quite lucky this race in that we had um, uh, the, the the third guy in our team, Rob, um, is also a good navigator in, um, here back in South Africa. So I was able to uh, let him just take up the strain every now and again. Because concentrating for extended periods of time when you're navigating is obviously tough. Mm -hmm. And every now and again, you just need to let yourself go mentally and just give yourself a few minute break, a few minutes break before focusing on the navigation again. And it's great when there's someone there just to take up the strain in those, in that, in those periods. Yeah. So is there ever a time? Oh, go ahead. Or was that me? <laughs> um, no, 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 I think that was you, but, uh, we we used to um, it, it actually worked out quite nicely for us from a, a second navigational perspective because I think any na navigator that that concentrates for such a, an extended period gets that tunnel vision and you know I mean it's with anything um, mm. trying to have that balance between uh, a, the concentration levels and then having a break. 
but the team still needs to move forward. So having somebody that can uh, navigate as a backup is a good idea, and it's also good to run through a couple of things with the with the backup. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. So when when Nick's in the zone, says to coin a phrase, do you have to like remind him to eat and drink? Does he get that far into it? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, we, uh, we've been racing. We, we've got a good strategy as a team. We talk about that sort of thing um, before we we do our pre-race. And, and you know, we, when we are training, it's important that each, uh, each member of the team looks after the fellow member mm-hmm. of the team. So, you know, it's one person's responsibility in the team to look after Nick and, and, and vice versa to the other guys. So... You know, when Nick is in that zone and that, he's pretty good with ma- managing his own diet and that sort of thing. But, yeah, uh, that goes without saying. Um, it, it is something I think it. as a navigator I need to watch out for because every now and again you do, let's say, on the bike, stop for a few seconds just to double-check on something on the map. And whilst you're doing that, everyone else is busy eating and drinking, but you don't really get the chance. Yeah. And off you go again. And after a while, you, you if you don't, if you're not careful of it, you you had a bit of a, um, a disadvantage compared to your teammates in, in the amount of food and water you've consumed. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. I, to me, it's kind of like when you're you know you're out running or doing something with a bunch of people, and you wait for that slow the slower person. And then you, yeah. you got to remember not to just leave as soon as they get there. Let them get their yeah. stuff in. So. That's always in the back of your mind. You know, uh, there's um, an old saying – well, not an old saying. There's always been something floating around our team. Uh, one of our teammates actually said it some time ago is that, you know, we we the pack horses in the team, um, and we'll carry as much compulsory team kit as well as the uh, our fellow teammates' backpacks. But the heaviest, the heaviest kit in any team is the maps. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, to carry the maps is quite a quite a big responsibility. You know, um, and and that's I mean that's going in the going in the right direction fast is a good thing. Going in the wrong direction fast is obviously a major problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you'd rather go in the right direction slow than the wrong direction fast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right, I'm gonna just be just for the mortals among us, Nick. What's the worst navigation mistake you ever made? Well, there have been a few. Um, <laughs> and, and I will tell you that, that Bob that, Miller once went went like 10 kilometers the wrong way out of a TA. So, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the classic ones tend to be um, forgetting a checkpoint. And I've unfortunately had a... Over the, over the years, at one stage, I had a bit of a run of bad luck where I think I went through three Expedition Africa races where I actually missed a checkpoint on all three races and we I had to turn the team around and, and go back go back for it. <laughs> so So it's that's that's never a nice moment when, when you tell the team uh, we have to do a U turn and uh, all of all of them were uh, a few kilometers back uh, either on the bike or on foot which wasn't pleasant. So well yeah it's like you just suck it up and get it over with, right? Yeah, you do. Unfortunately, it's a, it was a bit of a concentration lapse because I was reading the map too far ahead and trying to work out what we were doing next. And before I knew it, um, I, I was forgetting what we were, had to do then. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Oh, hang on. I'll be, I'll be back in just one second, okay? Doing podcasts while I should be working. <laughs> well, yeah well that's fair enough yeah. and it's our end of our day so we're fine yeah so yeah the i'm i'm on a big remodel project so i figured i better talk to the talk to the owner for a little bit but they understand it's like oh, i just do this for a while and then just stay later tonight so it all works yeah. out um right, okay let's let's go um so let's let's kind of go back to the race a little bit what do you think was the like the crux point for you was it that first day or you know how did what and walk me through the race we a little pulled, bit we pulled we pulled a small lead on the first day and on the on a, particularly overnight on that first hike i think it got to about an hour um 
and then going through the night, we're maintaining it, and then around about sunrise on the mountain bike on the so 24 hours into the race, we we I made a one of my small navigation mistakes that cost us almost an hour, mm. and that's where the the one team managed to recatch us. Um, and, uh, yeah, team Uzcat from Spain, and uh, for a while we were for a short distance we were together. Um, then they pushed the pace a bit, so they went ahead, and we weren't we weren't happy in terms of keeping or trying to stay with their pace, so we just let them go ahead. Um, but the, the gap that they pulled on us on that cycle wasn't too bad, um, and I think it never got more than ten minutes anyway. I think we checked in the the transition area, but only eight minutes behind it. But the, you could see they were pretty well worked when they got into that transition, mm. whereas we came into the transition in a a reasonably comfortable um, state. They were they were really on the ground taking strain. Okay. I think the, the big decider for us was the second hike, um, which was essentially the that was the fourth leg of the race, um, right through the centre part through the through the second night of the race. Um, we we started hiking at about or maybe two, three o'clock in the afternoon, and it was, uh, I mean, the temperatures on every day were scorchers. I mean, it was 37, 38 degrees with full-on tropical humidity. And then on that hike, we were also going along a lot of sandstone outcrops, so the heat was radiating off the rocks on top of that. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so we, we, had, uh, we had decisions to make in terms of, yes, you want to push on in the daylight as much as possible because we knew that navigation for this entire leg would, was going to be quite tricky. Mix a lot of checkpoints in the bush and in the jungle. Um, but at the same time, you got this heat, so you don't want to essentially cook yourself. Um, so we had to pace it, and then as the evening got on, we actually just pushed the pace a little bit more just to see how many checkpoints we could get in the daylight before it got too dark. Um, and uh, we, we'd seen the other, the Spanish team then um, at one stage, they hadn't seen us, they, we saw them going at a slightly different angle and missing the second checkpoint on that leg whilst we were going for the third one already. So we knew we, the gap was opening, and that allowed us just to be more comfortable and just focus on ourselves and the navigation rather than worrying about the rest of the, t- the, rest of the other teams. Yeah. Do you – I guess that is the answer to this question, but do you relax when you're in a lead or do you stress out to keep the lead? Because it can go both ways, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think it could go both ways, but uh, – you know, being in the lead, I think a lot of teams would, would agree to this, but being in the lead, you kind of are setting your own pace. You're not worrying about um, trying to chase somebody down or anything like that. You're just concentrating. And Nick said to us when we went, when, when, when we started this trekking leg, he said that the daylight was going to be critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was a bit of pressure on the team to make sure that we kept moving, but. Uh, yeah, we, we managed it at our own pace. I think that was a big thing. And and being in the lead, you can control your own pace. And whatever happens behind you happens behind you, you know? Yeah, yeah. you have no control it over that. It varies from race to race. But we definitely on this race, because of the heat and our strategy of focusing first on ourselves and our, and our own needs, we were able to forget about the other teams and just focus on the navigation that we were doing and maybe that made it easier overall yeah. was so did you guys ex- i mean you kind of had to figure it was going to be hot but was it a little more than you planned on or expected wow <laughs> you know everybody thinks that we come from africa that uh, we we should be used to that mm. sort of temperature but i i can assure you that that was something else i've never experienced anything like that heat yeah it's you know we get 38 39 degree temperatures here but we don't have a humidity of that sort of ma- uh, magnitude i mean that 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 you could be just sitting in a restaurant and you dripping in sweat it's unbelievable well yeah that was going to be my question is it's it's really the jungle well humidity it, it you got to you got to look after yourself mm-hmm. uh, that that's a big thing even for the paraguayans apparently the whole week was actually a bit of a heat wave so un- unusually high temperatures for them by their standards so it, we, we were just lucky that we managed to get into Paraguay a few days earlier and get a few days of acclimatization. Yeah. So um, what kind of elevation were you at during the race? Just out of curiosity. 
surprisingly very low. Mm. I mean, because Paraguay is what, at least a thousand kilometers from the nearest ocean and um, mm. the capital and most of the race took place at about a hundred meters above sea level. Really? So yeah, that's so, not what you were expecting? No, I mean, when we entered the race, I don't think we had really thought about the heat <laughs> and the humidity, all of that. We just thought Paraguay was a great place, new place to go to. I mean, we were, we were never, ever going to get there in our lifetime other for any other reason. So it was a, yeah. we thought, let's go for it. So is, is that kind of how you guys pick races? It's like... Well, you know, for for us, we looked at we sat down in uh, the end of last year and had a look at what we want to achieve in the 2017 race calendar for for the team, mm-hmm. and we chose uh, Paraguay. I mean, it's a ra- South America race. We haven't raced much in South America. We've done the Patagonia um, Wild Race. That was the only race that we've done uh, in South America, and Paraguay was just uh, it was a good choice for us. Uh, it was convenient. A good time of year, and then the, yeah, to, from, from an expense perspective, it actually worked out quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So win-win. Um, yeah, t- I mean, it's it worked out very well. Uh, then Spain was uh, is our next race, so we we had objectives for both these races. One of these races had to be a a good qualifying race for for world champs mm-hmm. for us. That was that was the team the team's objective. Yeah. Well, and obviously this was a good qualifying race for you. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it worked out. So it's uh, you know Spain, we can go through there with the team that we expect to go into world champs with. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, okay, well, cool. We'll we'll see you in Wyoming. What do you what do you know about Cowboy Tough and World Championships? I, I well, anything? Nick and I spoke. About, <laughs> yeah, about ten minutes before where we were talking to you, Nick and I were going over the race. Uh, and Nick was telling me the distance in miles. Uh, um, yeah, so the, the conversion to kilometers is a 700-odd kilometer race. So. We, we actually hadn't really given much thought to Cowboy Tough before, yeah. before we won this qualifying slot. So we're playing a bit of catch-up now, trying to get our minds around what to expect and what to prepare and so on. Well, I'll just tell you, you, you can go find a whole bunch of videos for me. It'll give you a good idea, so... Mm. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, that's a that's all, a good idea. Good all, heads up. All, all we've actually seen of the place is probably uh, what Hollywood has decided we're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I I find it kind of interesting because it is you know altitude. It's you know five five to six thousand feet, which I don't think of that because you know that's the altitude I live at. I actually am about live about three hours from Casper. So, but um, yeah, okay. and it's going to be hot, but it'll be dry. So you'll, that'll be good for you. Um, yeah. Is it kind of hard? Because you'll be coming into it in your winter, which is fairly mild, right? See, I'm I'm a, my ignorance. Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on – so Nick is, uh, Nick is Johannesburg-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I stay in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Susan Carter stays on the coast side. So we spread around South Africa a little bit. Um, we have various uh, – winter conditions the winter in cape town's all wet and and pretty much like europe mm. um whereas nick gets to enjoy no rain and uh cold mornings but he'll he'll sort himself out he's good yeah <laughs> even the daytime temperatures in winter in johannesburg probably get to 26 27 degrees so yeah. it's it's not prohibitive in terms of wanting to train so yeah. uh, listen um randy the one of the topics from the paraguay race is that some of the teams that were coming out of Europe were coming out of uh, their winter. I yeah. mean, they, they were training on lakes that were frozen over, and you know, it's, uh, South America is perfect from a, um, a climate. Uh, that's what we looked at as their summer, not big time difference, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, we we didn't have major climate issues, which some of the European teams may have had. Uh, during the the Paraguayan race, you know. Yeah, well, and that's just the nature the nature of the sport, right? If sometimes yeah, it's going to work for you, and sometimes it doesn't. You win. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Yeah. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. By the end of the day, it'll all work out for everybody, eventually, of sort of. <laughs> so yeah, you get you said you guys have been racing together for fourteen years. How did how did you guys get started, and how did you hook up and what the hell have you been doing for 14 years? 
<laughs> well, we've raced. We've raced. Actually, um, our very first uh, World Series race was uh, was in New Zealand. We raced uh, Southern Traverse. The World Champs. World Champs, mm-hmm. 2005. Yeah. Um, but we had been racing local South African races, expedition races from 2002, 2003. Um, and, uh, you know, we've done a lot of, we've done, a, I don't know, how many, four or five World Champ races, raced in, in Europe quite a bit. Um, we've been around the block. Yeah. I mean, it, it is... It is what we do. It's what we're good at, and um, we looked at 2017 as a as a good catalyst year for for the team, and uh, you know we want to to build on it. To be honest, so it's interesting. So, did you guys? What was your background before you started? I come from a cycling background, so uh, so for me, when we're riding our mountain bikes uh, in a, in an adventure race, I don't take as much strain as maybe the rest of the mm-hmm. team. Um, but then again, there's a tow device on my back for a reason. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you might not want to tell everybody how good a cyclist you are when you start adventure no, racing. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can ride my bike. That's the, I can ride my bike a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then uh, I, I come from an orienteering background. Um, I started orienteering when I was five years old already. Um, got my entire entire family was involved. So it gave me the background in handling maps and running and so on. So I was uh, quite comfortable with that. And then um, just uh, from a few other adventure races coming into orienteering who, who wanted to brush up on their navigation, I finally decided, well, I can also do the sport. Um, and I actually bought my first mountain bike two weeks before my first adventure race, a 100-kilometer adventure race. So... Bit of a deep end, but I've been thoroughly hooked on the sport ever since. Well, it's funny because both of you, even with the diverse backgrounds, it's like, yep, I've heard, I've heard those stories before. Yeah, people <laughs> jumping in with both feet to adventure racing and growing up orienteering, and it's like they're they're starting to become a pattern. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's it's you know, it's Nick and I've raced. I mean, Nick and I know each other very well, and uh, you know, I don't know how many teams are out there that have raced with the same people for so long. You know, um, team members come and go, yeah. um, and and it's a good to have an understanding of one another and the expectations. You know, yeah. Um, and, and we've yeah. Yep. Is there things that you guys know about each other that that nobody else in the world knows? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that. inevitably, and we can't repeat. That. Yeah, well, I'm not asking what it is, but it's a, it's, it's a real bond, yeah. isn't it? When you're, it, no, you adventure know, race um, gears are, thing. you know, go fast. <laughs> yeah, it's you know one of the nice things with knowing each other so well is that uh, you can pick up body language. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see body language. You can see when. Uh, when fatigue is setting in, or, or when things aren't going the what we want to be doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you you adjust yourself and the team accordingly, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's the same as any team. The, the longer team consistency in a team, I think, is key to anyone. Yeah. Look at the most successful teams. What? When when guys are, are put together with the common goal, consistency in a team actually drives success. You know. Yeah. So. So you guys have been together forever, but how about the rest of the team? Do you have a, a core group, or do you have a few yeah. people coming in and out? How does how does your team work? I mean, the, the team has changed slowly over the years. Um, generally, in uh, in the late two thousands, we had a, a core group, and then one person would retire from the sport, and you'd bring someone else in. And now our turnover of team members has generally been pretty slow. So me and Clinton have been in the team since its founding. Um, we've quite uh, more recently we've been racing with Nathan Thompson, who um, un- uh, unfortunately for us moved to London uh, a few months back. So with a new job, he was unavailable for the Paraguay race. But thankfully, Rob stepped into the gap here, and having raced with Rob and against Rob in other teams uh, locally, we, um, he actually uh, he actually merged quite well. Um, I was able to train with him quite a lot before before the race and so on. So he he fell into the team quite nicely. 
Um, and then Susan Carter Brown, uh, the lady in the team, um, we raced with her actually for, for the first time four years ago. Um, when she was also a last minute replacement for, for, for our lady then who, who was unavailable due to getting married. Um, but, um, she, uh, I mean, so it was great to have her back in the team and she's now committed to us on a longer term basis. So it's, it's, it's great news and it's, um, consistency is always important. I mean, we, we've always said that the first year of having a team together, you're finding your way. The second year starts, starts working for you and things start clicking. And then we've, we've always said if you get a third year going, it, um, it, it, the team clicks so well that you, it's, it just, it becomes actually quite easy racing. And you and you should start doing quite uh, being quite successful from that point. Yeah, I yeah. talking to people that are on successful teams and been teams together. It just everything just is a small percentage easier. Transition areas, planning for races, figuring out stuff, and, yeah. and those those uh, marginal gains add up, don't they? <laughs> Yeah. Well, responsibilities, it's, you know, at the end of the day, when, when you have consistency, it's the same as in a corporate environment. So if you have, if you have consistencies in, in any environment and, and people that are uh, accountable for certain aspects in the team, the team works, you know, everybody wants to achieve a common goal. No, certainly from a cyanosis perspective, uh, perspective, you know, we, we there because we want to be there, not because we placed into the team and, uh, you got a job to do and that's your job, do your job. And, you know, mm. we want to be there. We want to be racing with each other. And I think that's also quite key. Uh, yeah. Being, liking each other helps. Well, liking each other helps a hell of a lot. <laughs> you, may, you may not like each other during the race sometimes, but at the end of the day, you know, we've got uh, we, we've got a good um, system in our team. You know, you don't take things personally in a race. At the end of the day, you know, we're all friends. Yeah. Um, so what's the long? One happy. Yeah. What's the longest yeah, period? It's marriage. Yeah. <laughs> what's the longest period of time you two haven't talked to each other during a race? Well, <laughs> how long? How long was Paraguay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Uh, yeah, Nick. You know the thing with Nick. Um, when Nick's in the zone and and he's navigating, I mean he's he he's focused so much on that. It's my responsibility to make sure the team's moving and and keep motivated from that perspective. But Nick's got a job to do. He doesn't talk much during the race per se. I mean he talks when he needs to tell us what we need to be doing and what he wants to achieve and what the team needs to achieve. Um, I think coming towards the end of uh, the race. Nick started a conversation with Susan, and uh, I think his exact words were, you know, this is the longest conversation I've had with you guys in like four days. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, it's it's not that uh, we don't talk during the race. It's just, you know, Nick is Nick gets into a good zone, and, and we don't want to, to ruin that, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, don't, don't uh, bring him out of his trance. Yeah, that's it. Um, okay, here's a, a really dumb question, but what's cyanosis? Are you going to take it on or should I? <laughs> oh, maybe it wasn't a dumb question. It, it, was, it was when we formed the team, it was just an interesting name. Um, it's obviously the medical term for when for when your skin and your nails turn blue due to lack of oxygen. Um, but we've been racing with it since 2004. Um, it, we thought it would just be unique, which it has proved to be. And it's become a bit of a grand thing. But, um, yeah, we, we're technically and uh, We don't we, – we only – we're a team that's not really financially sponsored yeah. and we haven't been for quite a few years. That's why when we look for races, we have to consider the budget and so on and, and choose races with, which, with, uh, good entry fees like Pat, um, like Paraguay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, th uh, the brilliant thing about, um, being, getting the first place was obviously the free entry to world champs yeah. because without yeah. that, we wouldn't be going to world champs. So. Yeah, from an expense perspective, it's just uh, you know it, uh, it would have been out of reach. Yeah, well, yeah, it just it's well, not a cheap sport. Yeah. Well, it, it's not a cheap sport. You you putting in three different main disciplines into a sport, um, and then um, for the 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 just the kit. I mean, you know all about it yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Um, so. 
Cyanosis uh, at the end of the day is the medical term, and it's quite apt yep. for adventure racing. You're losing oxygen. You, you're going to turn blue. Yeah. Well, I I, I like it that yeah, <laughs> I like it that you just uh, picked that term out, and it's you, you kind of branded yourself because I always tell people that's how what I did with legendary is started out as a joke, and it's like it, people know who you are, right? Well, that's it. That's it. You've created a brand. Yeah. You stick to the brand. You know, at the end of the day, that that is what defines the team. That's what defines the company, and uh, and and it works for us. I mean, Cyanosis has been around in South Africa for um, fourteen years, thirteen years. I mean, it's people know it. You know. Yeah. Which which it helps. Doesn't bring any money, but it helps. <laughs> well, yeah. It's also you know, it's not that. And uh, don't get me wrong. It's not that we. D- we don't go out there and actively try and um, canvas for sponsors, etc., etc. You know, we're doing we're doing a sport that we enjoy, and it's a sport that we've chosen as our um, main sport, and we love what we do. We're good at it. Yeah. You know, that that helps when you're good at it, isn't it? Yeah. Makes it more pleasurable. Yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah. So this this is a question I used to ask all the time, and I kind of don't anymore. But I'm going to put a, a little spin on it. So, what's what's the best and worst six hours of racing that you two together have ever had? Ah, sure. I can tell you the last six hours of this race was uh, was superb. Huh? I mean, because yeah. we, we, I mean, the, the marshals and the, and the media weren't allowed to tell us what the gap was, but we could work it out um, just seeing that because bike, certain teams' bike boxes weren't in the transition when we left from coming from the previous transition. We knew we had a big lead. Mm-hmm. And as, as you're approaching the finish line, um, with that knowledge, and you know, you know that subject to a real disaster, let's say someone crashing off their bike, um, you're going to win this race. It, you, it just puts you in a, a great frame of mind. So you, you really start enjoying the race. And I think the last six hours of this this race in, in Paraguay were definitely in that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could tell you about uh, the worst times of uh, racing, but that's actually it wasn't during the race. It was more post-race, but uh, that's another story altogether. <laughs> well, tell us a story. Uh, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. no, okay. It's, uh, you, yeah, you can it's, tell me the story this, someday. This, yeah, I'll tell you the story once face to face one day. Yeah. yeah, I think everybody, all of us, have those stories that they're yeah, o- they're course. okay to tell during the race. But uh, yeah, what goes in the race stays it, in the race. Well, and, and uh, this, in fact, this story it, it actually has nothing to do with the team per se itself. It's more about the the race. Mm. Um, and the way the, the race was handled thereafter. I mean, we've all had those races yeah. where we don't agree with one or two things, and um, you know, you stick to your morals, and, and just after that's just it's, you know. Yeah. Um, I think. Go ahead. I think I can't recall any any race where. I mean, you, you go through bad patches, and when things aren't going right, and you, your team gets lost, or something goes wrong, and you have a mechanical or something, and you end up being. Down, lying down in a ditch. I think I think that's probably one of the. I know in Expedition Africa a few years ago we had one teammate who got very sick already on the first date, oh, yeah. uh, first day. So through the first night we were really um, resting on the side of the road, hoping that he would recover from essentially flu-like yeah. symptoms. And it was almost freezing conditions. You're lying in the ditch on the road with your bikes next to you. You're covered in space blankets and. I think we were down on the ground for about four hours, um, yeah. hoping that he would recover, which in the end he didn't. Um, and I think it's, it's periods like that, that those are the worst parts of the race um, because there's, there's not much you can do about it. Um, you just be supportive of your teammates, hope they recover well. Yeah. Um, and when it, it it doesn't, you just have to suck it up and push on. We we continued. We we eventually had to call the medics and come and get him extracted so that he could go go to a hospital and get on antibiotics and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, and we continued pushing on, and and that was also horrible. Just three the three of us essentially then pushing on on the race where you've lost all motivation um, and. Yeah. Ah. 
did in the end, in the end, we pulled out about twelve hours later. We just couldn't get our minds around getting back into the race. Well, I think. Tell me, I'm wrong if I'm wrong, but when you're racing at a high level, when you're a top three, five place team, if you have a day like that, it's kind of like it really does take the wind out of your sails, does it? And it's like, why bother to go through all this pain? Yeah, uh, that's you know that's exactly the mindset. The mindset is you know you're putting your body through so much already, and it's not it's not necessary during the race that you you feel it. It's that it's after the race. I mean, when you stopped. Because you know, all in all, we, we do this because we love it. So we do it because we um, we know that we can deal with that pain and that mindset and that that closure and block certain things off during the race because that's what we're doing, yeah. you know. But it's once you once you have um, those sort of um, issues within a team where where you're now unofficial or something like that. Yeah, you kind of look at it and you think, you know, why, why, you don't need to put your body through this, you know. Yeah, exactly. But, it's, but but at the end of the day, you have a look at it and, and there's that, you know, that old saying that, you know, that quitting thing lasts forever. And it's, there's a lot of truth in that, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of truth in that. I think um, nowadays it's, you know, quitting races. I think the youngsters are, are quite okay with uh, quitting races and stuff like that, but... Yeah, we still come from an old school background. Those those races hurt, eh? What one of the advantages to just pushing on even when you're you're unofficial or, or at the back of the field is is, is you're still gaining experience mm-hmm. and experience counts for a lot in the race. I mean even as the navigator you're you're constantly under new experiences and you make mistakes and hopefully you you learn from those and you never make mistakes those same mistakes again. So yeah, well there's that that experience part. Do you, so you guys are old school, old gangster, we'll say. Yeah. Kind of a two-part. Yeah. enjoyed the old school race. <laughs> I, I must tell you, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. That's why Paraguay was so good. To, it was a proper navigational race. Hmm. It wasn't like a, um, a Coca-Cola route, if, if I could put it quite candidly. Yeah. It was also a true expedition. I mean, there were seven legs, six transitions, and I think the single fastest leg was the first pedal, which took us... Eight hours. Eight hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had one set of boxes, and the, and there was sufficient time for the organisers to move the whole team set of boxes to each and every transition because we we're out on those legs for so long. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of old school. So, what do you two two part? What's the biggest difference from 14 years ago in your racing with races and? Are races run better today? Are there fewer problems that, in general? Or were they okay in the old days? Uh, yeah, um, I think from personally the difference in terms of how we race now and then. I mean, obviously we have a lot more experience, so the races seem to go a lot smoother um, than maybe than they did back then. Um we don't seem to get ourselves into certain situations that we did in the early days. Um, I think an, another big factor that we that I notice is um, our, our, uh, over the years we've been able to build a, a good amount of gear stock for that the team uses, like lightweight gear, mm-hmm. and that actually makes a big difference. I still remember my first adventure race where I was carrying a three kilogram sleeping bag in my backpack, <laughs> and there wasn't much stuff for anything else. <laughs> Yeah. And um, over the years, you start purchasing lighter stuff, better quality stuff, and it, it does actually make a difference. Yeah. And then um, in terms of the races, uh, definitely in South Africa, and I'd say it's probably also a bit of a, I don't know, uh, to some, maybe to some degree a worldwide trend, but the quality of races have improved, um, at least when it comes to the, the navigation and the core setting um, in, in South Africa. In South Africa. Uh, in the early days, um, I mean, I remember you'd I'd, you'd go into a place and yeah, you'd expect a few controls to not be 100% accurate in every race. And nowadays, they're always exactly where they should be, uh, which definitely helps. That's a big deal, definitely. Yeah. And I think internationally, I think the race organisers, I suspect, listen to the adventure races in terms of what they want more nowadays than they maybe used to. Yeah, that's that's good to know that they're they're uh, doing what you guys want. 
Well, I think a lot of the the organizers of the races and and some of the World Series guys are actually ex racers themselves, mm -hmm. or they're still racing. Yeah. I mean, uh, the guys that put on the the Paraguayan race, uh, uh, Uzi races uh, himself in in Spain, and listen, he put on a fantastic race. It was really a racer's race, that Good. to be honest. Yeah. From a navigation side, I mean, I think you would see as, as a navigator himself, and it definitely showed through. It was a tough navigational race, um, but I think it was still fair. It wasn't overly tough all the time. There were just a couple of tricky checkpoints that um, we were lucky enough to ace quite nicely. So uh, it worked out quite well for us. But um, overall, it was a very well-balanced race that we thoroughly enjoyed almost apart from maybe a, a single four-kilometer stretch, we enjoyed it from start to finish. That's that's not a bad percentage of a good race, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so just a couple more because you guys probably want to go do something other than talk about adventure racing, and I should probably do some work. But um, what what would be a – what would you consider a good result at world championships? I mean, you know – you guys are good. You could you could be in the mix, but what when you come here? What do you what has to happen to say? Yep, that was a good race. Um, yeah, we've been to a lot of world championship uh, races over the last couple of years. Um, we haven't raced internationally for the last two, three years, or three years, four years, three, four years now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we've raced a lot of world champ races around the world already. Um, we have a, a certain goal that uh, that we want to achieve as a as a team. I think we pretty much, when we sat down, as I mentioned earlier, as we sat down in uh, the end of last year and wanted to worked out our team goals. Paraguay um, Expedition Guarani and uh, the raid in Spain were two races that we wanted to do well in, um, and and as a build up. To, to Cowboy Tough. So, yeah, let's let's see what happens. Okay. Uh, we should be well prepared. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Okay. Everybody knows that when I say I only have one more question, I don't. W uh, yeah. For Raid in Spain, will, will you be going there to win the race or to maybe, like, try some different things and, and maybe experiment a little bit? Not that they're mutually exclusive, but, but what is – what are you looking at for your goal there? I think we'll definitely go out there to do as well as possible, and ideally that would be a win. Um, but going in there with um, essentially a team that should then go on to world champs, we obviously want to iron out any problems, make certain that we 100% um, get to know each other fully. Um, the, the the difference is of and obviously the, the, but there's a difference between there's going to be a big difference between Ray Galicia and Spain and Paraguay. It's going to be a much quicker race. Yeah. It's it's more European. Um, it's it's cooler conditions. So it's going to be quite different. And and that's also good for us in terms of it gets us out of um, the long expedition stage mentality that we've now coming out of it in Paraguay and forces us out of our comfort zone. So it will be it will be good training. Um, I don't think any of the media will consider us favourites, um, but we'll definitely go out there um, with attempting to to podium and, and and try and win at least. Okay. Well, I'll consider you oh. a favourite. How's that sound? Thanks, Randy. <laughs> yeah. From us, I don't I don't go to any adventure race to collect a participation medal. There you go. Plus, they don't give them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it depends. It depends which race. Yeah, that's true. You, you get, well, I think you got at least finished. So, okay, I think this is good, really going to be my last question, and it's my it's my bucket list question that I started asking. So, so the two of you get to go to one more race. That's it. One more adventure race anywhere in the world, and you got to pick two new teammates, and you can't have raced with them. Who? Would, where do you want to go, and who do you want to race with? I think the easier one to answer is where do we want to go? I think we're probably thinking the same. What are you thinking? I'm Patagonia. thinking Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> I, Patagonia, the, the Patagonia race, I tell you, that is, that for me is... What it, a, it, I mean, when we, we've, we've only done it once before, yeah. but it, it was like being in a National Geographic movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
it was the ultimate true adventure race. You're, you're on your own. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's coming there to fetch you. The, the last, the last uh, leg for that race that we did um, took us three and a half days on foot. Yeah. Well, I, my, um, yeah, my wife has raced down there twice and hasn't had a good race either time and, and really doesn't ad- adventure race anymore, but she'd go back and do it in a second. So it says I something. I'll tell you that is. The, the scenery and the entire expedition concept and just crossing those islands and the fjords around there and the mountains is phenomenal. Yeah. Mm. So. It, it's a true, that's a true adventure race. There's, you know, there's no shops there that you're going to go and buy a meal or anything like that. You, you've self-sufficient, hey? Yep, it is. All right, so who's going to be your two teammates? Sure. Mick? This is much harder. Yeah. Do, yeah. From which country or Any, is Anybody, any... I don't care who it is. Yeah. Now, old day, old school. We'll say anybody in their prime. So you can go old school. You can get something. Sure, I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a tough one. I, I suppose it's a bit hard to to actually. Decide. It depends what you want to discuss during the race. Then yeah. there are probably some adventure racing legends that you'd love to race with, and I, I think we'd probably end up picking one or two of them. Yeah. 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 So I mean, it goes without saying. Uh, for an experienced perspective, racing with Nathan would be a um, that would be something because uh, you can learn quite a bit from him. Yep. Uh, We're obviously talking about Nathan. Yeah. Farbe, yeah. 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 And then I must tell you, from from a lady, uh, from a female perspective, I mean, Robin Benacasa comes to mind. I must yeah. tell you, yeah. she um, she was an old school racer. That we were talking about her in uh, in uh, the last race. Yeah, good. But um, yeah. yeah, good choices. That's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Well, it is. I'm kind of having fun with it. I, it it's funny. No, I'm cause sure. I, I'm sure you are. Because I've asked because, a bunch uh, of people, but I haven't had the. Their episodes on yet, so it's interesting to hear hear your uh, choices. Yeah, you know, there's um, there's some really tough uh, and, and local guys that uh, that I'd love the experience to race with as well, which we haven't had the chance because we we compete against them. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's at the end of the day, we we all sit down and have a beer thereafter, and and it's a good community in South Africa. There's a good community. I'd actually choose some South Africans to race with yeah. as well because. You know, we're an outdoor country. Um, we love the outdoors, and and that's why adventure racing works so well here. I think. Yeah. So I mean, I would even think of the Collins guys or um, uh, some of the Merrill guys. I mean, yeah. I think we'd put a good team together, to be honest. Yeah, it's 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 actually uh, quite often it's it's your toughest competition that you respect the most. Yeah. So. Right. I think yeah. The, right. there are a few very strong te- there's a few very strong teams in the country at the moment. Um, if you look at world champs, I don't know how many South African teams are going to be there. There could be three and maybe even four teams, and they're all very strong teams that can all comfortably get a get a top ten final result. So yeah, it's it's great to have those comp- that amount of competition in this country and. It would actually be great to race with some of those guys um, in in the future, but at the moment we're all stuck in our own teams and and we're all competing and we're all competing yeah. against each other. How do you get so many good teams from a relatively small country? Is it just well, that's where you people I, 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 are? I, 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 hold on. You, you should be asking. You ask, should, ask the Kiwis. Ask the Kiwis that. <laughs> well, I do. Uh, <laughs> New Zealand, New Zealand can fit into South Africa, I think, maybe three times. I mean, we and it's the same. You can ask the Swedes. I mean, yeah. I think the one thing that maybe defines all of these countries is they've got good outdoor cultures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that makes we we um, our outdoor lifestyle in in South Africa is uh, second to none, um, and I think it's very similar to like a or even better than New Zealand's sort of outdoor, um, our climate is more conducive to an outdoor sort of lifestyle. Um, uh, we've got, yeah, we've got some really strong guys here that are not exposed to international racing. Or, and then when I say guys, I'm talking about ladies and, yeah. and gents. Um, so, you know, there's it's that opportunity, but it's always, that, that's a fact in any country and any sport, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's just... Ah, oh, you guys are just a bunch of hard asses that like to suffer. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I actually, I can't, I can't argue with that fact. It is, it is probably true. I mean, South Africa does have an sort of like an endurance mentality when it comes to uh, long distance sporting events. I mean, if you, 
if I just think about all of our top events in the country, they all tend to favor the, the ultra endurance distances. Yeah. I mean, like this, the biggest road running race in the country just happens to be 88 kilometers long. <laughs> <laughs> so. It attracts almost 20,000 people each year to compete. But, um, and, and I think our biggest paddling race is a three day long river race, uh, down one of the, most toughest technical uh, rivers that I think is on the world circuit. Yeah. Oh, you guys and your your outdoorsiness. <laughs> we we have the right climate for it, and you know what? When you have the right sort of environment, make hay while the sun's shining. There you go. That's a good way to do it. So, okay. Well, this has been a very interesting, very informative, and fun. So. Look- kicks off all the boxes for me excellent thank you randy i appreciate your time all right well i might see you in spain maybe but i'll definitely see you in wyoming oh fantastic we might pick your brain uh, a couple of questions about wyoming so uh, i've got your skype details i might drop you one or two questions not a problem and I, i will tell you too i've been kind of trying to put this out i started there's a facebook page for gear so Trying to get it set yeah. up so, like, if you need to borrow something from somebody in the United States, maybe you can. Yeah, we're we actually looking for pack rafts at the moment. We were talking about that just now. So, uh, yeah, some input on that at some point would be great. Um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll send you I'll send you a link when I get done here. Okay, perfect. Might be able to help you out a little bit. Well, that would be great. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, thanks. All right. All right. Good one. All right. Bye. Yeah. Ciao, ciao. Cheers. Bye. 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 You must Another man.